when I was about 10, 11, 12-ish years old, I was uh, running around with the kids in my neighborhood. You can probably think back to when you were growing up and having a good time, especially if you live in the neighborhood with kids your age or near your age. And it was a summer night. Uh, it was about 8.30 at night, so it was dark at that time. And we were playing this game called Kick the Can, which basically how we played it was you, you had a cul-de-sac and you had a can or some object in the middle of the cul-de-sac. And the object, you had somebody that had a flashlight. And to win the game, you had to be able to get to the can and kick it without the person with the flashlight shining it on you. So you'd hide behind things, and you'd try to get close, and then when they were looking somewhere else, you'd make a break for it and try to get it. And so we were playing this game, and at one point, I ran behind this guy's house in our neighborhood. Uh, This guy was ex-military. We thought he was in the FBI, although I grew up in Cary, so I don't know that there's any FBI agents in Cary. But he was was with some law enforcement agency cop. He was something. And he was very big and burly and extremely intimidating. And so I run behind his house. he, he lived on kind of a hill or a slope, and so his porch was probably about 10, 15 feet in the air, then had, you know, a staircase going down. And so I'm running around behind his house, and all of a sudden I hear the grill is on. And I'm thinking, what is happening? It's 8.30 at night. Who's grilling? And then I hear, who's down there? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I am going to die. And so I do what any kid would do is I book it. I run, and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to get out of here. be okay. Well, you know, I start running, and then I hear... He's coming down the stairs to chase me. And I'm like, what is happening here? So I run into his front yard. He's following me. He's like, get down, get down. I'm like, oh my gosh, I am really going to die. And so I'm running across the street. I wasn't going to get down on the pavement. I get into the other person's yard. I get on the grass. He comes behind me, puts his hand on my back, has a steak knife, mind you, on him. And he says, what are you doing? And I'm freaking out. So I turn around and look at him and I'm like, what am I doing? Who's grilling steaks at 830 at night? Just kidding, I was too busy peeing my pants. And so I was freaking out, scared. I'm scared. Everyone else is scared. My younger brother, who's five years younger, he was there too. He was probably like six or seven. He's, he was crying. And long story short, it was fine. We all stopped playing after that. I mean, the guy has been through a lot, so he probably thought, I don't know what he thought. And so he was like, well, don't be running behind people's houses. And I'm like, okay, why would you chase a, six, a 10-year-old kid? Whatever. And also, we live in Cary. We're fine. Anyway, and so, and so anyway, so we stopped playing. We were all scared. We were freaking out. And it was, it was traumatic. And obviously, I'm still working through it. Um, and here's why I share this story, is because the question that we're going to look at this morning as we begin this new series, Life Over Death, is this. How can we afford, avoid living in fear? You know, that, that story that I shared, it was, a, it was a quick, you know, 30-second ordeal, then it was over. But the reality is, many of us are living like that Uh, for long portions of our life, whether there's things going on, whether there's self-inflicted things, things happening to us that we cannot control, we're living in fear over a long period of time. And so the question is, how can we avoid that? How do we not live like that? And how does Jesus give us life in the midst of it? And so what we're doing with this series is we're looking at the bottom line we talked about last week for Easter, which was simply this, that Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. And so in this series, we're talking about practically what are some ways that that actually looks like in our life today, because following Jesus does not just have implications for the life to come. It has real and practical implications in this life as well. And so this series, we are talking about some of the ways that following Jesus gives us life instead of death. And so here's what I want us to know as we begin this morning looking at uh, this topic of fear, and that's this, that fear is a choice. Fear is a choice. Now, let me just say this real quick. Of course, there are some example, or some uh, times and situations where that's not always the case. So if you're in an abusive relationship or if you're in a life or death situation, there, there are times where there are exceptions to this rule where we are afraid and maybe we should rightly be afraid and there's not much we could do about it. But most of the time, 
We are feared or we are in fear or we are paralyzed over situations in our life where we do not have to be. And so my challenge for us this morning is to maybe view the things that you're dealing with, if it's not the exception, to not kind of make yourself into the exception, but think, okay, how can Jesus actually change this for me? And the reason why I say fear is a choice, it's not my kind of thought or my kind of idea, is because throughout Scripture, over 100 times, we see that the Bible says, do not be afraid or the equivalent thereof. Now, I've looked online, maybe you've heard this people say that it says it 365 times for every day of the week. I looked, I could not find a single reference of how they got that number. Everything I got was between 100 and 150. That does not mean that we should only not be afraid one-third of the year, however. That means if it says it over 100 times, it probably means that we need to follow it, that there are practical implications for it. And so here's the thing. Fear is a choice, which I know sounds hard, right? Especially not just because life is hard, but the culture in which we live in today, social media, news. Uh, we live in a highly sarcastic and cynical age, and so there's always this negativity. Everyone's talking about how the world's going to end, and it seems like there is no choice but to live in fear. But what we see repeatedly throughout Scripture is that God says that's not true. He tells us not to be afraid. If he tells us not to be afraid, that must mean that there is something we can do to not be afraid. And so I want us to know that fear is a choice. And here's why this is important for us to know. Here's what this means as we look at what this actually looks like in our life. The reason we need to know fear is a choice is because what it means is that you don't have to live in fear. You actually do not have to live in fear, even in the midst of relational, financial, whatever it might be for you, that you don't, even though this is not, this is not saying we don't care. This is not saying we don't think about it, but this is saying that you and I don't have to be fearful of it every day of our life. And so what we're going to do today, we're going to be in a few texts this morning on the Bible. So they're all going to, or all the texts will be on the screen, but if you want to read along, you can grab the black one in front of you, um, or if you brought a Bible. But the first one we're going to look at is in Matthew chapter 10, and Jesus is going to be talking about, again, this idea of living and fear. Now, the context of what's going on here is that Jesus is with his disciples, and he's been telling them essentially that when you follow me and teach things and go out and tell people about me, uh, things essentially will not go well for you. You will be beaten. You might be killed. What we know about the disciples is that actually all of them were killed for claiming that Jesus rose from the dead, except for John. The only one who survived was actually tortured, uh, survived, and then exiled for the rest of his life, so that's not much better. So he's telling him that these things are going to happen. Now, I don't think the disciples fully understood what all was going to happen to them, but Jesus is telling them to be prepared. Prepared. And then he says this, chapter 10, verse 26. He says, therefore, don't be afraid of them. In other words, the religious leaders, the Roman uh, officials, the people that might come after you for telling people about me, don't be afraid of them, since there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered, nothing hidden that won't be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What, I, what you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. He's essentially saying there, the things that I'm going to teach you and show you in our time together, I want you to then go and tell and share with other people. Verse 28 then says this, don't fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy, to destroy both the soul and body and hell. And that seems kind of heavy. I mean, don't, don't fear people that can actually kill me. Like, how do I not do that? This is why Jesus says it, verse 29. He says, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Now, a sparrow in that time was kind of, kind of, kind of considered the smallest living creature. Now, they knew that there were uh, creatures smaller than the sparrow, but it was just kind of a phrase that they used to talk about insignificant things. And he says, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? A penny was one of the uh, most uh, cheapest Roman coins. And yet, 
Not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. So nothing happens, not even with the sparrows that God does not know of and allow to happen. Verse 30, but even the hairs of your head have all been counted. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. The point here is that God cares for you even when it's hard, so much so that he even knows the number of hairs that you have on your head. Now, if you are balding or are bald, maybe God might not love you as much, but for the rest of us that are still holding on to what we have, there is love uh, for us. But the point is this, that God cares for you. Now, if you're reading this and you're thinking, well, following Jesus, nobody is trying to kill me for it, or maybe I'm not even following Jesus, but I have things that, are, that make me afraid in, in my life. What does this mean for me? Here's what this means for me. That no one may be trying to harm you physically, but we all live in fear. You could be living in fear financially. Maybe, for example, you work a job that is performance-based or sales-based, and you know certain ways that you can cut corners in order to make more sales or in order to get the promotion or get the raise. And so what living in fear looks like for you is that you do what you know you shouldn't do because you're trusting in, in, in what people can provide, what man can provide, what money can provide over what God would want you to do. That's living in fear. Uh, maybe relationally, maybe you're single, and because you're afraid to be single, in the moment that you're going from relationship to relationship to relationship, uh, doing things or being involved with people that you know are not good for you and that God wouldn't want for you, but because you're so afraid of being alone. And again, I'm not saying that's not hard. I'm not saying that's not difficult, but it's your fear of being alone that's driving you to make decisions that you know you shouldn't make. Uh, maybe you have an illness. Maybe you were diagnosed with an illness or someone you know was diagnosed with an illness, and that is scary and that is real. And all, ever since then, all you can do is be paralyzed by fear about what's going to happen. So how do you not let that illness, that diagnosis, ruin or run your life? Maybe you're dealing with infertility, and you're thinking, man, if I could only have what these other families have, I feel like I, I'm not complete. I feel like uh, me as a dad or me as a mom, I'm not as uh, valuable as uh, people that actually have kids, and so that fear is running your life, or maybe the opposite is you have kids, and you're always afraid that they're not going to be safe, or you're so afraid that you're not going to help them live up to their full potential that you're always in fear about what's going to happen to your kids. We all have things in our life that can run... Can ruin us with fear if we are not careful. There's plenty of stories in my life of times that I have let fear run my life. I'll give you an example. Uh, we launched, as many of you know, New City Church in April of 2017. So we just celebrated two years a few weeks ago. And the year of 2016 was awful. Nothing was going the way that we wanted to. We weren't, be able to raise, we weren't raising the money that we thought we could have raised. Our team was pretty small, and I was doing this residency. And, and right before we started this journey, the previous two years, I worked at Verizon. And I hated it. It was awful. I hated every second of it. I love my coworkers, and that was fun. But people can be terrible. And so people come in all the time, and it was just, it was just awful. And so we started, I quit Verizon. We started this thing, started this journey. And you might think this is funny, but I literally would have nightmares that I was back at Verizon. Like multiple times a month, I would be sleeping, and I'd be back at Verizon. I'd be thinking, oh, my gosh, I failed. How did I get back here? I can't believe I'm back here. It was terrible. And here's the thing. That year was hard. That year was difficult. Yes, absolutely. But my fear of failing, my fear of New City not working out and being kind of labeled as someone who couldn't do it or couldn't make it, all these sorts of things, made it way harder than it should have been. I was living in fear, and it came out in, in how I reacted to with Christina, my wife, or with my kids, all this sort of thing, because I was living in fear. And so the question is, how do we avoid that? And so here's what we need to do this morning. If you're maybe you're not sure about Jesus, or maybe you are a follower of Jesus, and you just need to be reminded, here is how we deal with living in fear in our life. Here's what we need to do. We need to find the one 
who can actually deliver us from fear. You need to find the one who can actually do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Find the one who could deliver you from fear. This is not about us not being honest about our weaknesses or not being honest that we cannot do this on our own or we're not sure what to do. It's not about us trying hard. It's about finding the one that can actually do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Let me give you another example of this. In Mark chapter 4, this is what's happening. Jesus is with his disciples, and he's going to demonstrate why you need to find the one who can actually do for you what you can't do for yourself. And so he is with his disciples. It had been a day or two of teaching. There had been a lot of people following them around. And then evening comes, and here's what happens. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he told them, so Jesus told his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat, and the other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. He was in the stern, Jesus was in the stern, uh, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? Now, they were freaking out. In other words, they didn't think that they were going to make it. Have you ever been in a situation where you were like that? God, where are you? What are you doing? I have no idea how I'm going to get through this. And here's, what ha- here's the thing about when we read stories like this. I think sometimes we think of, oh, they were in a little boat, and there were some waves, and they got scared, and they woke Jesus up. What you need to remember and understand is that some of the disciples were actually, they had given their lives to be fishermen before they'd followed Jesus. They were used to storms. They were used to things being bad. But this was so bad that they legitimately thought that they were going to die. They did not know what to do with it. And so it was so bad there's a storm. They're freaking out. They wake up Jesus. And here's his response, verse 39. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, silence be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? In other words, he's saying this, do you still not trust me? Now, now here's the situation again. I don't know this to be true, but here's my guess of what would have happened. There's waves, there's a storm, the the boat's getting flooded. Jesus yells, be silent, whatever. Then all of a sudden, just like poof, like it all just kind of dies out in the middle of nowhere. It just stops. And in that moment, they're freaking out. They're like, oh my goodness. Like this guy actually is who he said that he is. And so Jesus is asking them, do you trust me? Uh, There's a pastor by the name of Rick Warren in California. He puts it this way. I think it's really good. He says, the real tragedy is that most people never trust God until they have to. And then they have no experience to fall back on. Here's the thing about trusting God. You may be in a situation where you're like, this sounds good, trusting God, but I don't know that I actually can. I haven't experienced this in my life previously. This is why at New City we talk about serving or we talk about giving financially. It's not because we want your money, but we want you to see that God actually can provide for you. And so my challenge to you is maybe you've got a big situation in your life and you're not quite sure how God can provide in that situation. So you're not quite sure that you can trust him. My challenge is what is a small step that you can take this week or this month to trust God, to see if he actually can come through for you. What Jesus is saying here is that, don't you remember, you've been following me, all these things I've done for you so far, and yet you are forgetting that God wants us to follow and trust him. And so it hel- it's helpful for us when we trust him with what's going on today, so that when we, when we face even harder things in the future, we may not be able to figure out or know how God is going to be faithful, but we know he has been in the past, which is why Jesus is calling us to take steps of trust so that when things get difficult, we may, again, we may have no idea how Jesus is going to provide or get us through it, but we do know that he can because we've seen it in 
the paths. And so that's what he's telling his disciples. And he, again, he calms the waves in the sea. Again, it's probably a massive storm. Um, all of us probably would have peed our pants by then, but it's okay because it's wet, so nobody can tell. And here's what he says, verse 41, it ends this section by saying this. And they were terrified. So the disciples, again, he sees them, calm them. They were terrified and asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. And so as we talk about finding someone who can deliver us from fear, who can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, here's what I just, as a side note, I want to say this real quick, that Jesus is not a feel-good story that helps us when we are scared. He is a true story that strengthens us when we are weak. We say this all the time. We don't gather on Sundays to be like, oh, life is hard. Let's sing some songs and feel good and face another week. What we do is we gather. Why? Because of what happened last weekend, that Jesus factually came into the world as a human being, was crucified on the cross, and defeated death for us so that anyone that places their trust and follows Jesus can receive the grace, mercy, and forgiveness of God. This is not like a pep rally. We try to get each other through the days and the weeks that are hard, that we are actually following a true and risen king. That, this, that, he, that we are weak. So it's not about us not pretending that we are. It's not about us figuring it out on our own. It's following the one who can do for us that we, what we cannot do for ourselves. And so here is why you and I need to find the one that can deliver us from our fears. Here's why. Because faith in the wrong thing will not deliver you from your fears. Hear me this morning. It is not about just trusting in something. It's not about trusting in yourself. It's not about trusting in the universe or trusting in this. No, because those, those things will not do it for you. It's not about trusting in something. It's about trusting in something that can actually do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Like if you're sitting in a chair, like it does not matter how much you trust that chair to hold you. If that chair cannot hold you, it will not hold you. It's not about trusting in something just to you know, get you through the day. It's about trusting in something that can actually do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Self. I remember uh, I was probably around the same age. I was a kid. It was summertime, maybe 10, 11, or 12, something like that. And uh, the younger, the better for this story. Uh, so let's just say 10. And um, I was home alone, and I was like playing a video game upstairs in my room. <clears throat> and uh, all of a sudden, I hear the back door open. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. Now, mind you, again, I grew up in Cary. I did not even learn how to lock a door until I got to college because nothing happens in Cary. And so I'm freaking out. I, I, like, freeze. I'm like, who's in there? And I hear some footsteps walking around downstairs, and I'm like, okay, what's happening? All of a sudden, I hear the footsteps walk to the front of the house and start going up the stairs. And I'm like, this is it. The FBI agent is back. I'm going to die. And so what do I do? What do you do when you're a kid? I turn off the TV, and I hit under my bed. Because that's where you go when, you just, when you're scared. Now, it doesn't really help me that my bed wasn't made uh, because I often didn't make it. And so, like, I was under the bed, but you could clearly see, like, hanging out. There's, like, there's nothing to hide me, right? And so I'm hiding under the bed, freaking out. They're walking up the stairs. Now, here's the thing about hiding under the bed. You know that the bed ain't going to do anything for me. In fact, that's where the bad guys look first. That's what they do, right? And so I'm hiding under, under something, hoping that this thing is going to save me and keep me from dying. And the reality is, if that person wants to get me, the first place they're looking under the bed, that bed cannot do anything for me. But yet I'm trusting that it can. Uh, good news, uh, it was my older brother. And so he just walked right into his bedroom. The good news is he didn't, like, he could have, like, turned and looked in my room and would have seen me under the bed, but he didn't. And so he walks into his room, and I'm sitting there, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Like recuperating, trying to, trying to, you know, 
the light flashed before my eyes. And so I'm like, well, what do I do now? Because like, I can't just turn on my video games because he's going to be like, whoops, I didn't hear anything. And so I'm like, well, I'll just get out of the bed. And I walked past the hallway and I was like, what's up? I walked down the stairs. Like nothing happened, right? Because I was just in there. Right? But here's the thing, right? Faith in the wrong thing will not deliver you from fears. It's not just about having faith. It's about trusting in the one who can do for you what you cannot do for yourself. I've shared this before, but it's worth repeating. Tim Keller, who's a pastor and author in New York City, he puts it this way, that it is not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. Strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch branch. Again, it's not just about trusting or having faith. It's about trusting and having faith in the one or the thing that can actually do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And what so often happens in our society today is we hear things like this, trust in yourself or trust in the universe or just trust in good karma. The reality is those things will do nothing for you when your life is in shambles, when you don't know what to do, when you are paralyzed by fear. It's not about having faith just to have faith. It's about having faith in someone who can do for you, again, what you cannot do for yourself. And so here's what I really want us to know this morning as we're looking at this idea of life over death, especially when it comes to freedom and fear, and that's this, that Jesus conquered fear so that you could live in freedom. This is practically what this looks like in our life, that Jesus came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves so that we can live in and freedom. I love what it says. Well, I'll read one more passage this morning. Uh, John chapter 4, uh, it says, First John chapter 4, it says this. Uh, first of uh, John, by the way, was the one person who survived uh, being killed for claiming Jesus rose from the dead. Tradition has it that he was burned alive in oil and survived and exiled for the rest of his life. Again, that does not sound any better, but that is probably when he wrote this letter. And he says this in chapter 4, verse 17. And this is love, in this, sorry, in this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. That Jesus had hardships, had things come his way, so will we. In other words, following Jesus does not mean life will go easy and well for you all the time. Now, when you die and meet Jesus face to face, things will go very well for you, but not in this life. Things will not always go the way that we want them to go. Verse 18, but he says this, there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. Listen to me uh, this morning. The gospel, what Jesus has done for us, is how and is why you and I do not have to live in fear. And it just goes two ways. One, if you're just in a difficult, hard situation, and or even if it's a self-inflicted situation that you and I can approach God, we don't have to be scared, we don't have to be timid, we don't have to run from Him, that if we have trusted and followed in Jesus, not tried really hard, not be a really good person, but trusted in what Jesus has done for us and allowed Jesus to transform our life, we've experienced the love of God that you and I have nothing to fear. Again, Jesus conquered fear so that you and I could live in freedom. And this is the gospel. What do we say often here at New City Church? The gospel is this, that Jesus came, lived the life that we could not live, died the death, the perfect sinless life, died the death that we deserve gladly and willingly so that anyone who would trust and follow him, not so that we would change our behavior so that God would love us, that Jesus would change our life and he would save us and give us the grace and mercy of God. And so because of Jesus and what he has done, that you and I have nothing to prove and no one to impress. And I don't know about you, but that truth is freedom. 
that you do not have to go around proving yourself, uh, proving, up, proving yourself to others, trying to impress others that in Jesus, that God looks at you the same way he looks at Jesus. Listen, even in the midst of your doubts, even in the midst of your fears, even in the midst of your sin, even in the midst of you blowing it with love and holiness and righteousness, not because of you, but because of Jesus. This is the freedom that Jesus offers us. Uh, a few weeks ago when I was working on this message, I kept seeing this quote pop up on social media, and it like, popped up like five times. People kept sharing it, and so it was like one of the good things that actually could come from Facebook. And here's what it said, and I was like, oh, this is exactly, I feel like, sums up what we're talking about this morning. The quote said this, that religion says, I messed up, my dad is going to kill me, right? I've blown it, I'm in trouble, i got to hide, i got to run. That's what religion says. However, the gospel says, I messed up, I need to call my dad. And hear me, that's freedom. That's freedom. Freedom is not when I blow it, I got to run from God or run from people and hide my shame, shame and my sin and pretend like I've got it all going on. No, that is fear, and that will paralyze you, and that will kill you. Freedom is, I've blown it. I've got no one to impress. I've got nothing to prove. I can be honest about my sin. I can be honest about my struggles. I can be honest that I don't know how I'm going to get through this diagnosis. I'm going to be honest that I really do fear for my kids all the time. I'm going to be honest about that. I'm going to go to Jesus. I'm going to lay it before him. And I'm going to trust in him. Again, it's not that we don't care about what's going on. It's not that we don't think about what's going on. It's not that what's going on does not affect us. It's that what's going on does not run our life, that we can find freedom and hope and grace in Jesus and not in the things that can destroy us. Again, Jesus conquered fear so you could live in freedom. And this is one of the ways how Jesus came to give us life over death. He didn't come just for bad people to try harder to be good people. He came for people that are dead to uh, be alive, right? This is freedom. This is life. This is how Jesus gives us life. Again, at the midst of our shame and our struggles and our doubts and our hardships and our, I have no idea how this is going to work. God, do you even care? We know this, that God does care because he came. We not know, we not know why he allows certain things to happen, but it's not because he doesn't care. Because if he didn't care, he wouldn't have come. Again, Jesus conquered fear so that you can live in freedom. No matter what you're going through, no matter what's difficult, even if it is a self-inflicted thing that you have done, that you can go to dad, you can call him, you can go, you can run to him, and he loves you and gives you grace, forgiveness, and mercy. Again, Jesus conquered fear so that you and I could live in freedom. The question is, are we going to accept the love and the invitation that he has given to us? You are not what has happened to you. You are not even defined by what you're doing. You're defined by Christ's love for you, and he is inviting you into the freedom that he offers. The question is simply this, will you and I accept it? Again, Jesus conquered fear so you and I could live in freedom. Let's pray.